morning and welcome to Friday Live here on NET Radio. Much of today's show is pre-recorded as we continue to protect ourselves and our guests from the spread of COVID-19. I'm William Padmore, in for Genevieve Randall. Ahead on this week's show, an immersive arts experience in Hastings for high school students, a tour of arts sits in Nebraska. In a moment, Genevieve Randall highlights a new documentary, and in about eight minutes, we'll hear poetry by Neil Harrison. I'm Genevieve Randall. A unique part of history in Lincoln will be the subject of a film currently in post-production narrated by fellow Nebraskan TV personality and former talk show host Dick Cavett. The film is a documentary about Robber's Cave in Lincoln. It's based on a book titled Robber's Cave, Truths, Legends, Recollections by Joel Green, which won a 2019 Nebraska Book Award for nonfiction. Joining me to talk about all this is Joel Green, the author of that book. He's in the studio with me here. Nice to see you, Joel. Thanks for having me. And joining us by phone is director from Patton Productions, Daniel Patton. Daniel, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you guys. Thank you. And I'm looking forward to this show. Joel, I want to start with you with your original inspiration for the book in the first place. Yeah, Robber's Cave um, has fascinated me uh, for a very long time. I I learned of it um, from a book guide to the Ghosts of Lincoln. My aunt used to drive us around to the locations from that book and try to spook us. And just being a curious kid, I was like, what is that white door? Why isn't it open? And what's behind it? Who made it? Why, you know, just all these questions. And so I started uh, writing a book about Robber's Cave, I think in 2007. And when the entrance was bulldozed, um, I kind of set the project aside. I thought, well, there goes that opportunity. And then I wanted to make sure it was finished for Nebraska's 150th anniversary and the Lincoln Legacy Project. And so I finished the book. It won a Nebraska Book Award in 2018, and tours really kind of took off. And you continue to give tours of the cave to this day. Correct. You can tour the cave uh, seven days a week, year round. All you have to do is call me and let me know how many in your party, what day you'd like to visit, and I check availability for you. The great thing about Robber's Cave is that it's 50 degrees year round. So when it's 100 degrees and humid and when it's 30 below and windy, uh, it's a great place to visit. Tours are about 45 minutes to an hour and they're really entertaining. How big a space are we talking about in the cave? The cave is actually 700 to 900 uh, lineal feet or 5,600 square feet, so plenty of space to spread out. Well, you mentioned that the uh, entrance that you knew before was bulldozed, so how does a person access the cave these days? For the longest time, it was just a little white door until about 99, 2000, a lot of break-ins and things. So the entrance was bulldozed, sealed with cement, but there was a little two-by-two hole that some people found a way into. Led to some pretty interesting videos on YouTube over the years. And you can see how vandalized the cave was. Uh, Cans, bottles, tools, batteries, mattresses, uh, bathtubs from the 80s keggers. um, All of that was left in the tunnels. Nowadays, there's a beautiful event space on top of Robber's Cave, a lot of parking. Uh, You just enter through the front doors. That's where the cave tours begin. Uh, It's kind of like the movie The Goonies. You (laughs) head into a former restaurant down a few flights of steps here in a cave that looks just like it. Well, so Daniel, I'm curious um, from you, when the film spark kind of happened and when you started production for that? 
My wife and I were on our way back from Colorado from a vacation. We were passing through the Nebraska area. We tend to look for unique locations, unique uh, experiences when we travel. We're kind of thrill seekers a little bit. And when my wife mentioned that there was a cave underneath what was once a brewery, it just kind of piqued our interest. So we went out of our way, drove kind of across state from where we were uh, originally traveling, and went in and did the tour with Joel. The entire time throughout the tour, I was mesmerized. I could not believe this place. It was just so almost overwhelming with all the uh, carvings. The minute you walk into it, it just takes you back in time. You see the history literally written on the walls, and it was just so unique. The entire tour, I just almost felt a little out of body because I thought this is just so crazy, incredible. And at the end of it, I asked Joel, has anyone done a documentary on this? And I guess at the time there were some talks about it. There were people that were kind of attempting to do it, but we run a full production company out of Knoxville, Tennessee, and we have a great group of partnering production companies that I can basically call on and go from a group as small as five people on up to 50 people if need be. So I immediately called my producer in Knoxville, was so incredibly excited about this project that over the phone, I could hear his excitement. We relayed to the rest of our production team what we were looking at doing as a documentary for Robber's Cave, and hands down, everyone was absolutely on board, ready to go. There wasn't a single apprehension in any of it. Everyone was just unbelievably excited. Daniel, I'm curious, when did production start? I mean, we've been in this pandemic now for over a year at this point. Can you talk a little bit about that, how you had to work around COVID situations and how long it's taken you? Pre-production started immediately after my wife and I returned from our vacation, which I believe was uh, around the April timeframe, April, May. We began pre-production. A little tricky during COVID, but we're not limited like the larger production companies uh, that had to completely shut down for a year or more. We shut down for about three to six months originally and then just created a safety protocol to wear masks, gloves, uh, anything we can do to help reduce the spread of COVID but still work safely. Would maintain distances that we needed to and were really very cautious. So we went into it COVID free, uh, our entire group, and we came out of it COVID free, which means we did a great job for safety purposes. And I don't know of anyone that was infected during that time. For either of you, what is a piece of history that you could could tease us with about the cave? I know there's a lot. There definitely is, enough to fill a 300-page book, right? Uh, For me, the multiple uses of the cave. On tours, I often say if the walls could talk, but they kind of do. With the possible uses of Native Americans to to pioneers uh, and then breweries coming from Minnesota and Wisconsin, enlarging the tunnels and having the brewery there, until it closed and became a brothel. And then uh, you had dances and Husker football parties and a big social scene. And then shutting down in the 70s, becoming a gun range, uh, one time being used as a daycare, believe it or not. Just a little bit of everything. So for me, I always go to the uh, to the multiple uses of the cave on tours. There was this young girl who was talking about wanting to grow up to be a writer too. 
And I just told her, you have to remember, truth is stranger than fiction. Some of the stuff you can't just make up. You have Dick Cavett narrating the film. He grew up in Lincoln. I'm wondering if he remembers the cave or if he has visited. Dick did run around in the cave as, as a youngster. And I remember reading in a newspaper article that he was a sad that the cave had closed in the 70s. And so I thought, well, shoot, it's not anymore. And I thought it was worth a shot to invite him. We share a mutual friend, Ron Hull, uh, from NET. I was mentoring Ron's grandson at Irving at the time. And so he helped put me in touch with uh, Mr. Cavett when Dick was in town for a show with Paula Poundstone at the Leeds Center. I was able to stop by and pick up Dick and Martha from their hotel, and we met a childhood friend of his at the cave. We had a lot of fun, and I knew when there was going to be a documentary about the cave that we had to get Dick Cavett, Ron Hull involved somehow, some way. And it looks like there will be a premiere of the film. Has that been scheduled yet? Not scheduled yet. We're hoping to do a private screening at the cave just for those involved who were already part of the project. Owner Sam Manzito has been amazing to work with. He is the proprietary owner of the event center up above the cave and, of course, the cave itself as Robert's Cave LLC. Such an amazing guy to work with. His event center is just beautiful. It's perfect. We're so excited to be able to actually come back and do a release party uh, at this location, at his location, which is just beyond cool. So we're super excited about that, and we, we've really loved working with him directly as well as with Joel. The two of them together are just a dream team to work with. We couldn't ask for better people, and we can't say that about every production we've had. Sometimes they're beautiful, sometimes they're not so great. This has been beyond beautiful. It's one of our favorites. So we're hoping to come back and do the actual release party, and uh, we don't have a date for that yet, but I would like to see it happen in the next few months. We'll keep our eyes peeled for more information on that, and of course we will have a link on the Friday Live page where people can uh, find more information about the documentary as well as the book. That is at netnebraska.org slash radio. I've been talking with the director of this documentary, Daniel Patton from Patton Productions. The documentary is about Robber's Cave in Lincoln, based on a book by my other guest here this morning, Joel Green. Personality Dick Cavett narrates that documentary Documentary. Thanks to both Joel and Daniel. It's been great talking with you this morning about this. Uh, thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, thank you for having me as well. I'm Genevieve Randall. Dave Hughes. Nebraska poet Neil Harrison is a former instructor of English and creative writing at Wayne State College and at Northeast Community College in Norfolk. Harrison reads a couple more of his poems for us today. This is a poem from my latest book, Where the Waters Take You. It's a pretty accurate portrait of my present uh, Drottar, my German wire-haired pointer. Pretty accurate portrait of her. It's called, uh, The Happy Dog Horks Down a Whole Damn Chicken. Each year my friend Ken heads up to the Hutterite colony in South Dakota to buy dressed chickens for himself and others. And he calls me up last June and asks if I want some, and I say, sure, I'll take five for myself and a couple for friends. 
So with seven chickens on the way, I go downstairs to check the freezer, and damn, I still got three from last year I must have forgot about. So I take one out, head back upstairs, and put it in the sink to thaw while I go to the store for barbecue sauce. And I'm gone 20 minutes at most, but when I get back, there's nothing in the sink. So I look around, and sure enough, there's the plastic wrap the Hutterites use, and one thumbnail-sized bit of bone on a chicken-sized wet spot on the couch, and that's all that's left of a four-pound bird. I call for the happy dog, who it seems has wisely slunk away somewhere, and when she comes in, I can see right off she's swelled up fat as a full-blown tick. So worried she might up and croak, I load her in the car and head for the country, thinking a run might do her some good, and it does, I guess, because after a couple miles and several healthy deposits, she seems okay, and we head back. I open the car door, and she jumps in, then onto the back seat just in time to chuck up what remains of that chicken on the floor of my mercury. After a robust round of cursing and thanks to gas stop eateries for the napkins of various pedigrees I find here and there in the car, I start cleaning. Because I've had dogs enough to know if I don't, what's left of that chicken's going to get recycled and we can start the whole process over again. So I get it done and once again load the happy dog, who's shrunk some now, almost back to her fit and trim self. And a couple of proverbs come to mind. All's well that ends well and happy is as happy does, but a whole damn chicken. Jesus, it ain't like I don't feed her. What the hell's she thinking? This is a poem from the book In a River of Wind. It's called The Word. Imagine yourself moving without a word like walking. And imagine seeing, hearing something you have no words to describe. Say a flock of pheasants bursts from the brush beside you. A you without any words to put your world together. No flock there, no burst, no brush, no colors, feathers, cackles, birds. No name for the sight, the sound, the something. No name for anything, no you. How integral these groups of phonemes, magic as cement. These abstract marks we make to conjure and in time create a concrete world out of the eternal, intangible wonder of being. Imagine them, the primordial parents, naming the elements of their dream, of this dream, each sound, each syllable, filling an image with the breath of life giving to a world the means of life. In the beginning was... Neil Harrison read The Word and The Happy Dog Horks Down a Whole Damn Chicken. Harrison lives in northeast Nebraska with his third drawtar, The Happy Dog. William Pat.
that more and my next guest here in studio with me on Friday Live is an artist whose work has been exhibited nationally and internationally. She currently calls Lincoln home. She studied here at UNL in addition to Virginia and Australia. She's taught in Omaha and held residencies in Nebraska City and Helsinki, Finland. Currently, her work is being featured at Constellation Studios in Lincoln in a show called Prism. And Burton, great to have you on this morning. Thanks for having me. So tonight is first Friday, so there's a reception for your exhibition from 7 to 8 p.m. Central. Tell me, when is the last time you were at a live reception this past year? Oh, it's been more than a year, so (laughs) I'm so excited to get to see people in person um, and get back out in the community visiting with friends who are artists. And um, yeah, it's it's been a really long time since I've gotten to see a lot of art in person and see people in the community. And so for that reception, are there going to be mask mandates or how does that work as far as safety protocols? Masks are uh, required at the reception um, and we'll maintain social distancing while we're there. Very cool. Now, the show is called Prism and... I've seen some of the artwork online and um, from samples, and from what I've read about the background behind the work, there's actually a very sort of serious uh, context behind it. Do you want to explain a little bit? Sure. Um, So about three years ago, my son had a lump in front of his ear, and it turned out that it was a a growth, a tumor. Um, And so we went through that experience parents don't want to go through where we didn't know what was wrong with our son or um, if he was very sick or or if he was going to be okay. And it was really tough. And he ended up having a surgery. He had inhaled a very unusual type of bacteria. And it was just a a very random event. It was like a one in 400,000 event. And I, I had as a parent, obviously, a difficult time processing that. So the metaphor of a prism here is kind of thinking about how we, we change as a result of passing through these experiences, just kind of like light can pass through a prism and become beautiful or different. Um, and then I was working on this body of work during a global pandemic, so it gave it another layer of kind of collective hurt and thinking about what are some ways that we could change or grow or move beyond this in a beautiful way um, instead of just suffering through it. (laughs) And if you don't mind me asking, how is your son now? Oh, he's totally fine. Yeah, spunky little five-year-old. Good to hear. (laughs) Good to hear. Uh, So the work was originally commissioned for the Children's Hospital in Omaha, right? Yes, it was. So there was a really cool opportunity to make this body of work for Children's Hospital, which is also where he had his surgery, ah. and um, and it will be in the surgical center. So the it will be accompanying families going through the exact same experience that we did waiting for your child to go through surgery. So it's a, another kind of beautiful way that this has bent back towards something good instead of just being something that we were trying to, to get through. Very cool. Um, as I mentioned earlier, you've held residencies uh, all across the land here, uh, including in Helsinki, Finland. How was that? It was wonderful. That was part of an opportunity that was organized for me by Karen Kuntz, who was my uh, faculty mentor at UNL in printmaking. And she's also the director of Constellation Studios, where the show is. Um, and they have a really interesting history of woodcut, a really rich tradition of woodcut there. Mm. And um, so it was a really 
wonderful opportunity to get to see how a different culture approaches the same medium that I really love. And I think it's really cool to see how people all over the world have carried on that tradition of printmaking. And as far as woodcutting is concerned, for those who don't know, what is woodcutting and how does it differ from other forms of art? Well, so printmaking is a method of creating multiples. So very similar to the process of stamping, there's a matrix like the stamp, and then there's the multiples that you create off of that matrix. So it's one of the more unique media in that it can be in many places at once. So my prints can be in different cities or different countries at the same time. Um, And it is created by carving into a block of wood, rolling up ink on the surface, and then printing it with a printing press. And some of that equipment is at Constellation Studios. Um, so you can see it, you can take workshops there as well, so people in the community can learn these techni- techniques too. And I, again, viewed some of your art, and it is very unique. Um, what can people sort of expect out of it. Can you give a little hints as to sort of the visual themes that you've used? Sure. Um, This body of work is very colorful and it is inspired by quilt imagery. And I like the metaphor of the quilt um, as comfort and home, but also as in thinking about alteration and kind of things coming apart and coming back together in a beautiful way. And um, so you can expect lots of pattern and quilt-like imagery. The large piece I made is based off of a crazy quilt. And um, I love that idea of like lots of different things coming together in a spontaneous way. Okay, so for those who don't know, what is a crazy quilt? Crazy quilts don't follow a predictable pattern, but there are all kinds of different um, pieces and shapes and different types of fabric that come together. There are some beautiful ones in the quilt museum here, um, and I went and looked at a lot of those when I was researching for this body of work. If you have not been to the quilt museum, go. Oh, yeah. It is a very unique experience. And so my final question for you, uh, you hinted at this a little bit earlier, but... What do you hope that people take away from your artwork? Well, I think, um, I hope people see that beauty can come out of painful experiences and that we've all been through a painful experience this year. Everybody's experience has been different, but I think people have all had a a tough go of it. And so I'd, I'd like to think about this as an opportunity for us to create something better rather than just going back to the way that things were. So in all aspects of life. I think that we have seen that there are things we can improve on and we can treat each other better and treat the earth better. Um, and so I hope I hope that people get that from this work. Right on. My guest has been Ann Burton. Her work is at Constellation Studios in Lincoln. There is a reception tonight at 7 p.m. Central and the work will be up now through May 29th. Ann Burton, this was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Find more about this and everything you hear about this morning on the Friday Live page of our website, netnebraska.org slash radio. Heard a question you liked but then missed my guest's answer? Take a second listen to Friday Live. We podcast the show each week. You can look for that later this afternoon on our Facebook page or on our website. That address again is netnebraska.org. 
He's an internationally recognized artist, a Pulitzer Prize winner, and he held the position of Poet Laureate of the United States twice. But to many people in Nebraska, he's still just Ted. A newly published tribute to Nebraska poet Ted Kuzer has just been published, and in a show preempted by last week's presidential address, Timothy Shawford describes how the book came together with colleagues and former students providing poems, memories, and sharing the lasting impact Kuzer had on them. Learn more about this very personal tribute to Nebraska poet Ted Kuzer, published by the University of Nebraska Press. It's called More in Time. You can find the interview on our website, netnebraska.org slash allaboutbooks. Next here on Friday Live, the Lux Center for the Arts in Lincoln presents the cleverly titled Screenings. It maybe sounds to you like a film series, but it is an exhibition that focuses on silk screens or serographs. I'm joined now to tell us more about that by Susan Soriente. She is curator of screenings, as well as Caitlin Farneth here in the studio, Lux Gallery Director. Thanks to both of you for joining me this week. Thanks for having us. It's a pleasure to be here. This exhibition has been open since January, and I see from the website that it's up through May. I'm wondering if that's a typical length for exhibitions at Lux or if things have kind of altered or changed since this past year. That's typical for the permanent collection. It is up for four months, an exhibit, but Caitlin does her exhibits differently. Yeah, I rotate about every two or three months. Let's talk about these images in screenings because they are made with a special technique. Susan, I'm wondering if you could describe how that works. We're all familiar with the fact that people wear hats with screen prints and shirts with screen prints on them. But when it's an artistic screen print, it's a much more complicated and lengthy process. And especially so because there are multiple screens used because for every color in a screen print, you need to have a screen made just for that color. So when you look at a screen print such as the one by Marguerite Zorach that has so many colors in it, you realize the difficulty involved that to get every screen prepared so only a a portion is open to allow the color to go through for that particular color, it really makes you understand the level of difficulty and the artistic ability involved in making such an image. So screens are prepared by using a stopping material to uh, cover the part that you don't want the ink to flow through. And when you have your screens prepared, you press a squeegee over the screen to push the paint through. And then that screen is lifted off and a new screen is put on of the next color and continues on. Each one aligns very carefully because the least misalignment will make a fractured image that uh, is not what you want it to be at all. It will All the parts will be broken apart and will be not clear for the viewer. So the ability to make the color combinations and the plan to 
have your screens all work in a very consistent way is quite an achievement in this media. I think I read, is it 18 artists or 18 works in this collection? So it occurred to me that even though the technique is the same, I wonder if you could give us some examples of how different artists use that technique in different ways. The media use is basically the same for every artist. It's just the different styles. There are as many styles in serigraphs or screen prints as there are in other media, as in paintings. There's abstract, there is realistic that's abstracted, it's total realism. Uh, there's a unique variety, and so it's the skill of the artist that makes all that possible. Something I noticed that seems pretty special is that there is work in the Lux Center's collection there by the eponymous Gladys Lux. She is our main benefactor, got the Lux Center started, and so we hold some of her artwork, and there are eight pieces by her, a couple of large pieces, the one of the dolls. The other piece that is of uh, shocking is the title of it, and in that piece, Gladys Lux, I was told, is the central figure in that piece. Other people in the piece are her family members. And all her life living with her family, she helped with farm work with cattle. And so this is her doing that sort of work. And I marvel at the women that did the work as she is portrayed with the bonnet and the long skirt and long sleeves and lots of layers of fabric working in the field in the middle of summer. So many layers. That's not what we would want to wear now. What was expected at the time, and so she was a woman who believed in women pushing forward and being in the workforce and encouraged all her students, because besides being the benefactor for the Lux Center for the Arts and and a worker on her family farm, she also was an instructor at Wesleyan University for 40 years and did the art department by herself most of that time because the university was pretty small and they had a difficult time getting through the depression, which was when she started being an art instructor there. So first many years, she was the complete department for art at Wesleyan University. And she always was someone who was very active and but especially in the arts and encouraging women and all her students to be involved in the arts as a lifelong uh, expression of abilities that and she believed everyone had the ability to be an artist there's an artist in everyone she felt and it just took a matter of working a bit to bring that out in everyone her work and others is part of screenings and we should mention that is in the second floor of Lux in the print gallery so while we have both of you here today is also first Friday Caitlin what else is going on at Lux yes we have two new exhibitions opening well we actually have three we have another one upstairs by the Weavers Guild here in Lincoln but the two on the first floor we have we'll know more tomorrow by Ryan Crotty and Trey Hill in the West Gallery and Requiem by Roger Brune and that'll be in the East Gallery, and those will both be up for two months.
Susan Soriente, she is curator of screenings. Caitlin Farneth is gallery director at Lux Center for the Arts in Lincoln. Susan, anything else you wanted to share with our listeners today? I have been creating additional videos to have on the website for various images in the exhibition so that during COVID, if people feel uncomfortable coming to the gallery to read the signs, discuss the art with uh, me or others there, that they will find a little more out about the artwork. All they need to do is click on the image on the website, and they will have a brief discussion, less than three minutes, about the pieces that are on exhibit. And I'm enjoying creating those for people to be able to find out more about the artwork. We'll be sure to have a, a link on the Friday Live page so people can link through to more information about that, as well as screenings, which is up through May, and it is first Friday, so you can uh, go see all of the things that are going on at the Lux here today. And, Caitlin, you said from noon until 8 p.m. Noon until 8, come say hi, or you can experience everything on our website at luxcenter.org. Okay, sounds good. Multiple ways to access art. Caitlin and Susan, thank you so much. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. And this is Friday Live. You're listening to NET Radio online at netnebraska.org. I'm Genevieve Randall. sure to check out the arts calendar on our website. There are online only or other socially distant events there, in addition to some in person. Feel free to submit your own arts or humanities event. The address to find events or add your own is netnebraska.org radio. Just click events. Some highlights include the Capital Jazz Society hosting the Ed Love Quartet this evening in an online stream from 8 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. A workshop for multiple instruments in Scottish style will be held online. That streams from the old Avaca Schoolhouse this Tuesday. Pre-registration is required. And Wayne State College student films will premiere at the Majestic Theater in downtown Wayne on Tuesday at 7 p.m. That includes five brand new films. Support for programming comes from Constellation, a natural gas supplier participating in the Choice Gas Program. Constellation is a proud supporter of 4-H and FFA programs in the nearly 60 Nebraska counties it serves. Natural gas supply from Constellation at nebraskagas.com. Support also comes from Max Creek Winery, celebrating over 20 years of winemaking in Lexington with a commitment to sustainability. Max Creek offers wines, hard cider, craft beer on tap, and patio seating overlooking the vineyards. Open year-round, seven days a week with curbside delivery. MaxCreek.com Next here 
on Friday Live, Hastings College is offering a summer art immersion experience, the Open Space for Visual and Performing Arts. And joining me to talk about the program are Cara Kimberly, who is Administrative Assistant for the Department of Visual Arts and Open Space Coordinator, along with Christopher Strickland, Visiting Assistant Professor for the First Year Seminar Program and the Department of Visual Arts here on NET Radio. Glad to have you with us on Friday Live. Thank you, Genevieve. Thank Thank you for having us. I always think it's kind of amazing how these programs continue to happen through these unusual times that we are in. When exactly does open space happen and how is it different this year? This year will take place June 6th through the 12th. Both buildings, I should say all three buildings, music building and the um, theater building. This year, Besides just making sure the kids stay masked and that they keep their, you know, distance as much as they can in smaller groups, we're going to try to have kids on campus and try to have it as normal as possible. Last year, Christopher was part of our visual arts that we all went uh, virtual and it worked out really well. We still had over 50 applicants that participated in that whole week and everything was online and in the visual arts side we sent them little um packages that had special like t-shirts and art supplies and different things that got them ready for the week Uh, the only thing they really didn't get to participate in that was a i'm sure a little disappointing was the glass blowing part but we did have some really cool videos that we sent them that kind of gave them good instruction of what they would be doing if they were here on campus And we have quite a few kids that are coming back for a reunion that is April 10th. And we invited them and their families to come on campus and just, you know, have kind of a little special day for them. Some of them haven't even made it here yet, you know, since open space. So, but as for this year, we're going to try to make it as normal as possible and just really safe for everybody while they're here. You referenced the JDAC, that is the Jackson Dinsdale Art Center there on campus, and that glass studio is a large part of that. There's also a gallery there. Maybe you could just talk about all those elements that make the art spaces there at Hastings College unique. We actually have two galleries here inside the JDAC, as well as the glass blowing studio. We have a sculpture studio, painting, printmaking, ceramics. We have a fab lab or maker space kind of laboratory classroom, as well as a classroom space for kind of lectures and art history courses. We have a very traditional kind of studio arts based facility that's designed here on campus in the JDAC that allows the students to work with two-dimensional, three-dimensional art material and media, which is fantastic. And then again, we have the music hall, the fur music hall, in the Scott Studio Theater, where the students are doing the performing arts, would be able to come and utilize those facilities and resources as well. It would be nice to be able to bring the students back on a campus and have that experience of being on our campus in community with one another, being able to have that live exchange and full immersion rather than just the online experience we had last year, which was good, but it's not the same as being face-to-face and being able to really be here in the studios with the smells and having all the aesthetic experience of the processes and going on. And on top of that, the friendships. We have kids here from all over Nebraska, you know, some from Missouri, Kansas, Colorado, from surrounding states. And our first year was 2018. And I still have students that are on campus that are in like a whole Snapchat group that still communicate with each other. And those kids that were here together that were close, that came to Hastings College, they room together. They are best friends. It's just building such a wonderful um, community and, and friendships for these kids that I feel like would just last forever. 
Hastings College is known for its community and the ability to create and build community. And open space is just another extension of that for students to kind of bring them in and see what we actually have to offer. For us to be able to see those communities mm -hmm. and friendships develop, it's like, yeah, you know, we're, we're being very true and real to our, our vision and mission of having a place of belonging for students who want to be part of our community. I loved music, but I, I didn't really know how it might translate into a career. And it seems like when you're getting these high school kids in, they're meeting other folks, they're seeing what's available to them at that college level. I wonder what are some things that those high school students might be surprised to learn as they pursue their theater passion or art passion that they get out of experiencing something like this? From a teaching perspective, just the transferability of skills. When we are working with our student body here, we talk about career readiness. How do you use your art skills you develop? Whether you choose to be a fine artist for a profession or whether you choose to go in a different direction, they would use your art skills. So not just the visual literacy and the communication skill aspects, which are all important, but it's just that critical and creative thinking. What jobs are out there now in the 21st century that are so different from when you and I and Power out to college? You know, it, it, it's like these skills are transferable. The ability to be creative, to be a thoughtful, collaborative worker, those skill sets that we have the students learn in the open space program can designate and translate into a career that's fulfilling that, again, may not be a studio artist per se, but maybe they're working in communications, working with marketing, working and being a creative entrepreneur with a with small business in their local towns. Our students and our alum have mm -hmm. a variety of backgrounds and careers that they go on to using the skills that they develop here. And each year we try to have like a community member or somebody um, come visit that does exactly that. They talk about what they do for a living and how they got there. And of course, there's always the big question of how much do you make a year? You know, these <laughs> kids love asking that question, but it's great to have those real experiences right in front of them where they can ask questions and, and get to know those people and go, wow, you know, I didn't realize that I could do that. <laughs> Did either of you have an experience like this or an inspiration for your own careers? I didn't have a program like this. And I, I'm from the East Coast and I'm surprised that I, not, I did not have such an experience like this when I was growing up. But I definitely had the experience of mentors and individuals that I worked with that inspired me and made me want to consider teaching and education and being an artist. So... Here I am. And I'm from Omaha, so the closest thing that we had was clubs. We had the art club and we had theater club and things like that. Otherwise, you know, I was involved in that sort of thing, but nothing like this that was such, I mean, these kids stay for a full week on campus away from home. And, and once they get here, they almost don't want to leave and I have to push them to get up, go yeah. to bed. They want to just sit in the studios all night and work and play and yeah, they love it. Kara and Christopher, is there anything else that you want our listeners to know about open spaces? If you have a niece, a nephew, or any family member, friends, anything that would be interested in still doing open space this year, our application process is open until April 9th, which is about a week away. So we're still taking apps until then. We'd love more applications. Reach out and contact us if you have questions. Contact Cara, contact the professors here, and we're happy to talk about the programs, what to expect, and, and the kind of experience that they can have. And they can find all the information online on the Hastings College website under Open Space. And we'll have a link to that on the Friday Live page as well, so listeners can link through to more information there. I've been talking with Cara Kimberly and Christopher Strickland from Hastings College about Open Spaces, their summer art immersion experience moving forward this summer. And again, if you want to find out more about an application, you can link through the Friday Live page at netnebraska.org. 
Thanks so much for spending time with me this morning and talking about this. Thank, Thank you, you very much. much. It's nice to meet you. This is NET Radio, streaming online at netnebraska.org. Jazz Currents host Tom Eineck has a conversation with Ed Love about the life of a musician during a pandemic and how it might possibly annoy your spouse. Do you still find time to practice at home? How, how, oh, is, how got, has that changed? I've got all the time in the world. Yeah. <laughs> I don't always take advantage of it, but but uh, uh, yeah, I've, well, for this upcoming jazz concert that we have, I've had a lot of time to work on the songs I've selected to play and experiment with things and drive Loretta nuts when I'm playing piccolo on one tune, so <laughs> I try to do that when she's not at home. Hear Tom Eineck and Ed Love's conversation about that and more on this week's Friday Live Extra podcast. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or download from our website at netnebraska.org. I'm William Padmore. Thanks for listening to Friday Live, serving your community anywhere that might be. NET Radio is Nebraska's public radio network online, netnebraska.org. Nebraska Passport Program that encourages residents and visitors alike to travel the state and explore both popular and lesser-known shops and attractions is back for 2021. Madison Johnson is Passport Program Coordinator at the Nebraska Tourism Commission and joins me to talk about this year's program and how she put it all together during a pandemic. Welcome. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. For those who don't know, who are you and uh, how did you get into the passport program and what is the passport program for those who don't know? I got into the program um, mostly because I was a hospitality major in college. And so a few years ago when I graduated, this program was something that I had loved for a really long time. I actually worked at one of the passport stops back in high school. So it was a beautiful opportunity for me to grow my love of Nebraska and encourage people to visit the state. And the program itself is a summer travel program that runs from May 1st to September 30th of each year. And it features 70 unique places to visit. They change year after year. So you can do it for 10 years and you'll visit a bunch of new places that you've never been to. You might go back to a few places once or twice in those 10 years, but it is really just a fun way to um, travel the state, visit places you never would have expected, to visit different communities, help out local tourism, and just spend some good time with friends and family. It's all on a booklet that you can get for free from our website or at one of the passport stops once the program starts. And then you collect stamps in those booklets or using our Nebraska Passport app and then at the end of the program, we send you prizes based on how many stops you go to. How have things been planning this during a worldwide pandemic? Um, I imagine there must have been a few challenges or maybe not. I think last year came with challenges for every facet of our lives. 
we started 2020. So the, the planning for the program kind of happens starting in the fall of the previous year. So when COVID hit last year in March of, of 2020, we kind of had to take a second because our booklets were about ready to go to print. So we did push it back a month last year. So it ran from June to October instead. But actually, we had record participation. It was amazing. People were really happy to have something they could do with their families. It was really easy for people to social distance and wear a mask when they needed to. They maybe didn't get to go to Cabo, but they could go to North Platte and Valentine and Scott's Love in Omaha. So it was kind of fun. A lot of people posted things like, I know a couple went on their honeymoon last year and they did all 70 passport stops. And so I think that it's just great. So it's a really awesome program for that reason. Last year, it was kind of a, a saving grace for a lot of people and a lot of the businesses that were featured on the program. But for this coming year, things are just the way that they normally are. We have really awesome participants who are kind of used to doing what they need to do. They're used to traveling in small groups. They're used to wearing masks and they're really great for following those guidelines when businesses request them to. And it's it's something that has kind of just been a lifesaver for some people. So obviously it's not ideal, but it's been great. And you heard it here first. Valentine, better than Cabo. I'm going to say yes. it. That out yep. there. They have Smith Falls in Valentine, and Smith Falls is the best. Yep. Is there a uh, theme that you're following uh, for this year? And I guess what's new on the menu? We don't do a theme overall, but we do, we call them tours. So there's 70 stops, and then there's 10 tours and seven stops in each tour. So that makes it kind of fun. We've done, you know, a pizza tour in the past. We have kind of gotten really creative with it. But this year, we have a few that are kind of celebrating anniversaries. So one is it's the 100th anniversary of the Nebraska Game and Park System. So we have a lot of really awesome Game and Park properties on the program this year, which is also really nice for COVID too, because there's a lot of outdoor experiences. So even if you are nervous about going into to restaurants or stores, still you can participate in a big way. And the other one is it's actually the 150th anniversary of Arbor Day in 2021 and 2022. So we have a tour dedicated to that. So it's all tree tours. It's places like Tree Rush at Fontenelle Forest is a high ropes course. There's Arbor Lodge in Nebraska City. There is the Cedar Room in North Platte. It's just a restaurant called the Cedar Room. So I put them on the tour because I, I liked the idea of just including places with tree names, as well as Nebraska National Forest and those things as well. But we also have a shop tour. We always have a food tour. We have a tour this year called Aromatherapy that is just all smells, but it's things like smoking gun jerky in Lincoln, a soap store, Clean Slate Soap in Beatrice, Sugar Shack Candles in Edgar, and just various things that would get you to smell when you walk in the door. There's lots of fun things. There's also a kids tour this year, so it's really awesome for members of your family of all ages. Wait, are you saying that I missed the pizza tour? Yes. Oh, I, man. <laughs> I can uh, tell you where they are and we'll probably have a pizza tour in the future again because it was very popular. And one of the coolest things about this program is the, you know, many different communities that are represented in it. Can you talk about how you go about planning which communities to represent? So we do have an application process. Applications are open at the end of the year from about September to November. Last year, we had about 300 and some applications, uh, which is a lot, and I have to go through and read them all, but it's a really fun experience too, because I even get to see places that I didn't know existed. I've been in charge of the program for a few years now, and the way that I kind of go about it is I tend to kind of do it in cycles. So 
I focus on different regions each year. So like last year, I focused a lot on the Panhandle as well as um, Southwest Nebraska. And this year we're doing more Northeast and then up in the Shadron Scottsbluff area again as well. So I kind of just cycle through those. Um, and that's a good way for people to really give that community a lot of love, depending on how many people apply. The program comes together more naturally than you'd think, but it's it's pretty fun. I kind of just look at the trends. So when I look at trends, I look at tours and I'm like, okay, so there's a ton of coffee places that applied this year. Let's make a coffee tour. And then where in the communities can I find coffee shops? So obviously I don't want to put two coffee shops in Lincoln. So maybe I'll put one in Valentine. Maybe I'll put one in Norfolk. Maybe I'll put one in Grand Island. So it's that way when you're traveling, you kind of have a, a variety of experiences too. This year, me and my buddies, I'm going to gather a group of friends and we're going to we're going to attempt to do the passport this year. Absolutely. Yes, it's completely free to do. Like I said, you can pick them up at any of the Nebraska Passport stops. Once the program starts, that full list is on our website, nebraskapassport.com. Or while you're there, you can just request a passport to be mailed to you once the program kicks off. That'll come about the end of April-ish time. So everyone's super friendly. It's super easy to do. It's completely free. It's a win-win for everybody. May 1st is the first day to get stamps, and it runs through September 30th. So you have all summer to enjoy some fun things to do. We have a lot of variety of things, and you can participate as much as you'd like. You can get all 70 and win our passport champion prizes, or you can just get 10. I've been speaking with Madison Johnson, the Passport Program Coordinator at the Nebraska Tourism Commission, about the 2021 Nebraska Passport Program. For more information, make sure to head to our website, netnebraska.org slash Friday Live. Some composers' works don't get performed as often as other composers. That's just the facts of life. So, the UNO School of Music is presenting a concert featuring overlooked pieces. KVNO's Corbin Hirshhorn has more. The UNO School of Music will present the culmination of about a year's worth of work and planning on April 2nd, Powerful Perspectives, a concert featuring underrepresented composers. The idea started with violinist and master's student Jordan Willis. Well, Powerful Perspectives came from my original idea of doing my uh, master's recital, and I only did works by underrepresented composers. I played a work by an African-American composer, a Japanese composer, a woman composer, and an Argentinian composer. And when I approached Dr. Perkinson about doing this, she thought it was a really cool idea that we could expand beyond just my um, master's recital and doing, you know, a large UNO event with other UNO students and having this be something that is more than just, you know, a degree requirement. So we started planning, I'd say, April 2020 and started doing research um, using the Institute for Composer Diversity and getting some funding and finding musicians who would be willing to play, commissioning a work from a living Black composer because we thought it would be a really important and powerful statement um, in the world of classical music. This ambitious undertaking by students and faculty will highlight new music and a commissioned piece by Dr. Gregory Walker. Well, I was really excited about the idea. It's always wonderful when students come to me with ideas, and I was super excited to embrace 
Jordan's vision and facilitate and mentor in the ways that I could. Connecting with a living Black composer is a large part of this project. Jordan commissioned a work by Dr. Gregory Walker, and the work is in response to the killing of Elijah McLean in 2019, a Black 23-year-old violinist. And so we really approached this commissioned work with a lot of seriousness and a lot of, I guess, privilege that, you know, we are, we're charged with performing this this work and premiering it. So we're really excited about that. I think, you know, Jordan has been an inspiration to me and it's really been a privilege working with him these past two years and his vision of uh, having an annual recital series that features underrepresented composers is something that I will definitely carry on in the years to come. Powerful Perspectives comprises various orchestrations, ranging from solo violin to piano trio with congas. Um, We have about, I'd say, 10 or 11 pieces in total. We have a couple um, by Dr. Gregory Walker. I'm playing a duet with him, as well as his commissioned piece. And then he will be playing a piece by Rachel Eubanks, a female Black composer. We have a few composers of Asian descent, some Latin descent. And then I also want to expand the idea of diversity into neurodiversity. And so I um, am playing a piece by a composer with autism, um, because I feel that they're sometimes overlooked when you know, the conversation when people are talking about diversity and inclusion. So we have mostly string pieces, some with piano, there's a solo piece. And then there's also a piano trio with congas, which is a interesting, you know, ensemble configuration that I've never played before. And it's really exciting. But there's also a piece by solo piano that has a visual element to the perfect game of snake. So we'll have the screen showing the game of snake and the piano kind of hits the downbeats whenever the snake hits the little circle or whatever. So I think that's a really cool and modern piece. Powerful Perspectives is Friday, April 2nd at 7 p.m. and will be live streamed from the UNO School of Music YouTube page. Concert information is also published on Facebook. There will be an artist talk with Dr. Gregory Walker at 11 a.m. on Facebook Live. For Friday Live, I'm Corbin Hershorn. Support for programming comes from The Ross. Opening today is French Exit. Michelle Pfeiffer stars as a widowed and broke New York socialite who moves to Paris with her aimless son and their cat. Continuing is Pedro Almodovar's Of Human Voice, starring Tilda Swinton paired with this 1988 comedy, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. Details at theross.org. Coming up this morning on NET Radio, classical music on morning concert, and this afternoon, Laura Black and classics by request. Be sure to visit the NET website for podcasts of the show at netnebraska.org slash radio. Portions of Friday Live are pre-recorded. Thanks to everyone who makes Friday Live possible, including Carrie Mees, Genevieve Randall, and associate producer Dave Hughes. I'm William Padmore. <laughs>